0: The Truth or Politics Podcast, Episode 9, Interview with David Freisen.
1: To be quite frank, I always thought that that President Trump was a grifter, but I thought he might have been a little smarter than he was, because to be quite frank, I think that he could have done with just a very little moderation that he could have won over America in ways to do the things that he wanted to do uh, without all of the other negative things that he had. So uh, I I know this may sound uh, uh, a little odd, but I'm just thankful he was so dumb because had, had, had he been just a little smarter, he could have achieved all the things he wanted to achieve and really turn America upside down.
2: set you free. At least that's what I've been told. I said the truth will set you free. At least that's what I've
0: Hi, everybody. This is Robert. We're back with the Truth or Politics podcast. Today, I have a um, guest with me I'm going to interview. He is. Um, he has written an article in the Gazette Mail. Is that correct, David? Is that what it was in, the Gazette Mail?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Okay, so it was in the Gazette Mail. The title of it was uh, Thanks, Trump. And he outlined some reasons why um, we have the, the ability to thank him. And of course, that might be in, um, in, in reflection of the old phrase that, that came out that obviously David just drove me nuts anytime I heard it, but the, the thanks, Obama phrase. So I'm looking forward to talk to him about that. Uh, he has a very interesting background, he is currently, uh, wants to be referred to as pastor yet he does have a uh, law degree and has worked as an attorney in various capacities, one of those at the uh, West Virginia University, and was the vice president of what we call the vice president of diversity? Is that that a nice? Well,
1: yeah, I was a division vice president, and the division was the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion.
0: Gotcha. So, guys, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to David and let him uh, talk a little bit about himself. What I'm really interested in, David, is, just a little bit of background about we, we know where you are now and what sort of led you to this career that you have. Um, I don't know if we want to take it back as far as high school and what you were thinking about doing with yourself or wherever you'd like to take it. What do you, what do, you do when people ask you that question?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I start off with for the first 22 years of my life if you were to ask someone who David Friesen was, they would have referred to me as a musician. Really? So Yeah. So, so the first part of my life, I, I started playing music professionally in clubs when I was 11 years old. And so starting at, at, at 11, I played, and that was my identity. I was a, 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 a drummer, uh, top 40 funk bands, uh, played throughout the East Coast, uh, went on the road after my first year of college. Uh, uh, actually, I won the road the first time when I was still in high school. Just a quick story. I, I played with a, a group called the Dynamic Superiors, and they were a group out of D.C., and I had told them that I was 23, <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I was in the 11th grade. And so I had planned <laughs> to quit high school and not return but we were the the group was playing in a in a place in Agawam Massachusetts in July 4th of 1971 and the club burned down. Oh my. Uh, they they many people have said there was the mafia that burned down the club. Well, that changed my life trajectory. So rather than being on the on the road, I had to come back and finish my my uh, final year of high school, which was the, the greatest thing I could have done. So so I went on the road for a couple of years, came back Had a religious experience, basically stopped playing, uh, got involved with church very strongly.
3: Hmm.
1: Uh, At that time, I was a Seventh-day Adventist, a very strong Sabbatarian, so on Friday nights and Saturdays, I would not do anything secular. No longer a Seventh-day Adventist, but uh, I um, uh, went to law school a little late in life at about 31 years of age. Uh, Actually... It was a choice. I really felt like that I was being called into ministry, but I didn't feel like I was being called uh, to go to seminary for the Adventist church. And I'm so glad I didn't. So I quite often tell people that my seminary training was actually at a law school. So when I went to law school, I used that in terms of perfecting uh, many of the abilities that you, that you need in terms of ministry, terms of study habits, in terms of research, practice law for about 20 years um, had a couple of first first black uh, city attorney for the city of South Charleston first black hmm. attorney for the city of Dunbar. Um, I did a couple of pretty major civil rights cases actually it was a police case where we sued the city of Charleston for discrimination in, in their uh, in their in their hiring practices won the case it was one of the few cases before they started turning back a lot of the affirmative action uh, laws from the Supreme court. Hmm. Um, but I've always been involved. I've always been involved with, uh, the public outreach as well as ministry. And, uh, and so some, probably 25 years ago, I started writing columns for the Charleston Gazette. Um, probably have over, I probably have about a hundred and, 20 columns that I've written over the years and my, my real emphasis has been trying to show the black perspective in Appalachian because uh, so many people uh, don't believe that there are black people in West Virginia and uh, the view that they have uh, many times of the white Appalachian I believe is erroneous uh, and so it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition between Defending my white brother brethren here in West Virginia and criticizing them. <laughs> so, so it's kind of a it's an interesting two edged sword. Mm-hmm. I have a wife and three children. Uh, my oldest son graduated from law school here three or four years ago. I have a son that's a photographer and a daughter that is a that is a trauma therapist.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, yeah, I, I did hear. I didn't hear. I, I read. I can't remember if it was in the Trump article or was another one that I read of yours. I read about eight or so of the articles you had written. And I know you had talked about having a particular pride about being part of West Virginia and right. might've been the one where you, ta- where you talked about the monuments, but, yeah. um, you know, there was the like, sort of the bittersweet edge of right. uh, being there too. And, uh, and I think, I may or may not have told you that uh, my dad was actually born and raised in charleston okay and okay. and that's sort of my connection with some of the other folks that you know but in in, in my spare time, I've got my English degree that I got when I was a center, and I guess I've got a little bit of a gift of a gab, and I have just you know really felt like there is such a division. Um, in the world of politics and the world of media and how it's presented. And I wanted to enter into some conversations with people um, about that and just really see where do they get their news sources. Um, I, I discovered the news, the news source out there called allsides.com, and I've seen where they at least will publish um, articles and they will give them sort of an algorithmic rating of if they are far leaning to the right or far leaning to the left. And, and that's what kind of led me to design this podcast and this little Facebook site where we post articles and we discuss what we see. And, and that's why when I saw the article that uh, your friend and, and I guess my dad's second cousin, let's say, uh, had posted what you had written about the uh, thank you to President Trump, uh, as soon as I read it, I told Joe, I, I, this is exactly a guy who I want to interview. Um, based Correct. on what I'd read in that article. So that kind of brings us back up to this this point um, with, with that particular article. And, and for everybody else who's listening, um, our, our plan today is, or tonight is to discuss that article, but then also get into um, what we know of and, and really what um, David's reactions might be for the, the Capitol attack. And, uh, and then currently what's going on with Trump impeachment and we'll just, we'll just cover all those areas and we'll see where else the, the conversation allows us to go. And I definitely want to uh, talk to you at some point about your ministry. And, and I have a feeling that really, um, uh, interweaves itself within everything that you do. And so I'm, I'm more than happy to to hear you discuss that part of everything. So can you tell us a little bit about your, what you were hoping to convey? I think it's pretty obvious, but what you're hoping to convey with the Thank You, President Trump article.
1: Well, it's really part, if you you go back over the last four years, five years, including the run-up, of my real disappointment in terms of how America went from the highlight of having our first African-American president and the way that he was treated uh, in terms, just just from a personal standpoint, of course there there's absolutely fair game in terms of any type of policy differences. I have no problem with that. But it, it, there are times where it just became uh, ridiculous the criticisms that would be leveled against him, and and then after eight years of seeing that type of criticisms, uh, then to to allow the the the, the grifter from New York who basically uh, started his political uh, walk by financing the uh, racist birther movement, that movement that suggested that, that, uh, that President Obama was not born in America. And then for this man to somehow finagle him, himself uh, as, uh, with his unqualified, inarticulate, racist, xenophobic, sexist um, uh, manner, it almost became the, uh, the the tale of two worlds of America. And so I've tried to be very consistent. Uh, I was, to be quite frank, I always thought that, that President Trump was a grifter, I, but I thought he might have been a little smarter than he was, because to be quite frank, I think that he could have done with just a very little moderation that he could have uh, uh, won over America in ways to do the things that he wanted to do uh, without all of the other negative things that he had. So uh, I I know this may sound uh, uh, a little odd, but I'm just thankful he was so dumb because (laughs) had, had, had he been just a little smarter, He could have achieved all the things he wanted to achieve and really turn America upside down.
0: Yeah, David, let me jump in for a second. I just want to tell you that that is exactly what uh, me and my co-host have been discussing Uh, a little bit in the podcast, but definitely in our own conversations. And Mm -hmm. and, and the same thing happened uh, with my wife. My wife is very conservative, but, you know, she said, I mean, Trump basically just got in his own way. And uh, yeah. he he was positioned and, and to a certain extent to potentially win this election. But, you know, if he just had focused on COVID or focused on anything other than all the negativity that he focused on, uh, there, there's a good frank, chance he might have won.
1: And to be quite frank, the, the, the people who should be most upset with Trump are the true conservatives, because first of all, Trump is not a conservative. He doesn't he doesn't hold any conservative values that I can think of. But 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 being a grifter, he just jumps on to the worst sides of anything and appeal to our lowest nature. So just thinking of that and looking, when I was watching the culmination of this presidency, uh, with we have two hundred and fifty thousand at that time. It's getting close to three hundred thousand dead because of his his uh, 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 mismanagement of the COVID crisis. Watching. Uh, things going on in the streets of America because of his mismanagement we've always had racism in America and racism really really reared its head in some ugly ways during the presidency of Obama but the but the way that that he mismanaged uh the the challenges of rape and police brutality it actually brought out things in America that needed to be to, to be done and so I thought I would just kind of uh, do a little tongue-in-cheek uh, by using the way that that Obama was treated unfairly, because at, if you remember, virtually anything that would happen in terms of the federal government uh, would would be this moniker of "Well, thanks, President Obama." Mm-hmm. And I alluded to it in in, in the um, in the in the article about uh, being a, in a senior staff meeting, talking right. about some arcane. T- uh, tax policy. And the uh the, the, uh, the, 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 my colleague said, uh, thanks Obama. And that's interesting because I don't really let them edit my, uh, my columns very much,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
1: but that's one thing, two things that they did that they edited out. One, I, 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 didn't use the person's name, but I used her position. So people would know who it was and, and they, and they edited that out and said a senior staff member. And the other thing is that the beginning of this uh, article, I actually used a scripture uh, from Proverbs. I think it's Proverbs 16. Uh, pride goes before destruction and, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And, and I was tying that into that the Trump administration started off with the pride of saying, make America great again. And uh, and this whole idea about American exceptionalism and God is on our side. And and by the end of this presidency, we are he is going out and America's reputation is in tatters throughout the world. And I believe that 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 pride went before the destruction of our of of our name throughout the world. And had he won a second term, I think America very well might have completely fallen.
0: Mm hmm. Do you do you think that the um, concept of exceptionalism is similar to the older concept of manifest destiny?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's, that's it's what it feels a, like to me. It's, it's a direct link, to be quite frank. Mm-hmm. And and because of that, you see, we have so often done things under these monikers that really have devastated other societies. You know, uh, the atrocity of slavery in America. Uh, the atrocity of the way that indigenous peoples were destroyed, land taken, uh, put on, put on reservations. And yet when we are taught in school, it is taught as if this idea of American exceptionalism is something that has made us great. And I would suggest to you that it's just the opposite. What has really made us great is when we do break through with the idea of kindness, Uh, what makes us great, is when, after failing uh, during the Declaration of, of, of Independence to truly that and the Constitution to truly live up to our ideals, that we fought a civil war that started us on that trek. And so, what has made us great is not so much this this idea of exceptionalism, but for the fact that there are times when our our better angels, as one as one theologian uh, authors quite often talks about quoting Abraham Lincoln when our better angels uh, uh, take over. And I'd like to suggest to you over the last four years, our better angels have not shown themselves because we're dealing with the devil in the white house.
0: Gosh, there's so many things I'd like to, to add on to all that, but it, what, what comes to mind for me, and it's, it's, uh, especially if you think about this idea about the native Americans, um, it wasn't until I had read a, a historical fiction novel that, um, had, it was about the Druids and, and Caesar, um, uh, basically the, the sacking of Gaul and, and ki- killing of, uh, Vercingetorix. And, uh, it was just written from this Celtic perspective and, and how their society was, you know, destroyed and. But anyway, um,
1: she... well, you know, in the in the Kanawha Valley, uh, uh, the indigenous people in the Kanawha Valley were the mound builders. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, in South Charleston, West Virginia, there's a major uh, uh, mound built by Native Americans. And in an Institute, uh, and I'll send you an article that I just yeah, wrote about how, how Institute came to be. It really came to be because of my wife's great 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 grandparents who was a white slave owner who married his slave, Mary Barnes, Sam Cabell, and basically had 13 kids, sent them away to be, uh, to be educated. Uh, but it, there's a mound in, 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 in West Dunbar Institute. Uh, uh, and they used to run cars up on the side of the mound as part of, uh, they called it the, uh, what do they call it? The, the, uh, it was like a racetrack area mm-hmm. but my grade school that i went to fairly early on we uh, took the moniker uh and changed it from uh, west Dunbar elementary and changed it to shiny elementary mm-hmm. uh, which was you know pretty pretty provocative in the early 60s i bet it was and and uh and and we and we used our uh we used our uh mascot as and i say mascot but as Correct. the shiny Indians in mm-hmm. its most positive way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it wasn't the red skin monitor, it wasn't the smiling in, uh, India, Indian, but it actually was this predominantly African-American school, one of the few African-American schools that we didn't close down with this atrocity that we called uh, integration, which was nothing more than annihilation of, of anything uh, uh, Black, but that's a whole nother, another, another story to talk about.
0: True. True. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It, it you know, the, the ideas of um, you know, this, this idea of manifest destiny and, and we're, we're here because we're, we're doing the act of God. And, and, you know, the, the, the time that Trump uh, came out and they had uh, seemingly tear gassed, the uh, protesters uh-huh. who were not fighting about anything. And it was just to do a publicity stunt to hold the Bible in the air. And, right. uh, you know, I, I had being a, uh, a minister's son, but not being super religious. But at that point, I wonder if there's a good chance that Bible could have burst into flames. as well, I was seeing I,
1: that to be quite frank. I think that there was, there were little indications because, uh, I am a believer. I, I, I am a believer. And I believe, I believe that God put us here. Uh, for his purposes but we just keep dropping the ball mm-hmm. but i think that when if you watch that close enough uh, no matter what he seems to do there seems to be some truth that breaks forward so when he was when he was standing in front of that church he was actually holding the bible upside down was he really and if and if you'll notice that anything that deals with satan is normally either backwards or upside down from god true
0: so if you, look I at didn't the, know that. I have to see that.
1: Yeah. So if yeah, the Bible, he was holding the Bible upside down. So if you look at the word "live," the word "live" backwards is evil.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the word "lived" backwards is devil. So um, I think I think I think in his in his in his unintentional way he kind of showed who he was uh, upside down backwards bigot.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me what. You end up doing a lot of times because, again, I I listened to another interview and it had to do with um, you talking about uh, working with the church and being um, I think I want to say it was uh, just doing some, let's say, community outreach and Uh and trying to not only uh, I think the phrase I remember you saying is help people not where they are, but help them to where we want them to be. Uh, Mm -hmm. in the future. I don't know if you recall that, Mm -hmm. that particular phrasing. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me, go ahead and tell me a little bit about that. If you can remember some things about where, where you were heading with that conversation. Uh, and, and,
1: And not to be, not to go too theological. I believe in the power of the gospel and the power of the gospel is to meet people where they are. But I believe that, that when the gospel reaches someone, it doesn't leave them where they are, where they are. Uh And it takes them where they need to be, not necessarily where I want them to go, Uh but it, it, it leads them to where they need to be. And so I do believe in, in that there are, there's some, there's some reasons that we're, that we're on this earth. And, uh, and, and my, uh, my calling, part of my calling is to facilitate people find, what the reason for being here is.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So, so we, I, I don't believe that we're just a, an accidental collection of molecules. I believe that there is that there is purpose, and uh, and when you look at the people throughout history who have done great things, Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass, they had a sense that their life was set here for a purpose, and I believe if we could make more people find their purpose. You see, it's interesting that that I think that that what people uh, within the religious community will buy into by buying into the lies of a, uh, of a of a Donald Trump, it is a counterfeit for the purpose that they're trying to live. And so, you can either go with the true, or you can go with the counterfeit. And time and time again, our people decide to, to go with the counterfeit. Let, let, me, let me let me dig on that a little bit. So so. During the presidency of, 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 of Obama, I thought it was interesting how hated he was by the evangelical community. Right. It, it really interested me because, you know, uh, like him or not, uh, 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 Jeremiah Wright was an evangelical minister in a predominantly white denomination. Jeremiah Wright was the person who used the phrase, the phrase GD America. That that they just mm-hmm. fainted about and all that. That's
0: that's my old denomination. I'm yes. a I'm a UCC kid.
1: Okay, okay. Then you know, oh, yeah. I, not re- not realizing that he was basically just saying something that Martin Luther King had a sermon that almost said the exact same thing in his uh, briefcase when he was killed, and and so I was just I, I've just been interested to see how how the hypocrisy of of evangelicals uh which means which makes to my mind the bible of none effect can you imagine uh if if uh Michelle Obama well educated uh, erudite beautiful imagine had she had photos of herself in naked pictures uh, like Melania Trump did, what the evangelical uh, community would have thought, what they would have done. My goodness, they had problems with it because she wore a sleeveless dress. But to to my mind, I believe that God is showing our hypocrisy. And the thing about the thing about th- th- showing hypocrisy, you can either admit that you've been hip- hypocritical and change, or you can dig deeper into your hypocrisy. And I have noticed. I just talked to a. Uh, one of my assistants, when I was at Western University, a very nice person, could not have been more supportive to me. A white lady uh, in her late sixties could not have been more supportive. But she belongs to an evangelical church that is kind of known for its somewhat far right. And I asked her just tonight. I said, after all of this, uh, after uh, after everything that you've seen, do you, do you still support Donald Trump, and and what is your church's position? And her response to me: Well, I'm not going to go there with you on uh, on on uh, on texting. See, <laughs> rather than dealing with where we are, y- you you want to stay, you know, where you've always been. I hope that mm-hmm. makes sense.
0: It does. Yeah, absolutely does. And and I think um, what I felt like I had seen. Uh, while Obama was running the first time in, in the conversations I had with some, uh, white people that I knew, um, they went the same route that you have gone with Trump. And I I literally heard one of them say to me, they felt like he was the antichrist. Right. Obama. Yeah. And, And I looked at him and I, and, and this was quite honestly, one of the nicest persons I've ever met had never shown even the slightest racist tendencies to uh the people that i'd seen her interact with and what she'd done and and just the the kindness that she'd shown, but when she said that, you know I questioned it, and i said, so what exactly makes you think that he is the antichrist i'm 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 really kind of blown away by this, and uh she she didn't have really any explanation it was just he is, he just is, he is I know he is like, okay. I just let the conversation drop right there. But so I feel like there had been the beginning of the yin and yang, yin and yang, however you want to say it. When he was moving into his first presidency and I just felt, you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm sort of a worst case scenario guy that I was I was afraid there might be some backlash from people who didn't want him to be in there. And this is even pre Thanks Obama. I hadn't even heard that yet. And then you start hearing the Thanks Obama. And and still to this day you hear and and why, for gosh sakes, you know, Trump has to continuously compare himself to Obama when he's in, you know, the anything he's done. It's of course we know He's self aggrandizing and he has to say this is the this is the biggest thing that's ever been done. This is the worst that anybody's ever been treated. You know, and he goes through all these these exaggerations of, of things. And you know, and it it just it seemed to me that, you know, the country, although we um voted for, embraced, you know, eight years of an African American leading us, that there was blowback from it that we weren't ready for. But in saying that, I think what it, what it caused is another sort of social dynamic phenomenon, social physics, whatever you want to call it, of this bizarreness of the, the Trump and the evangelicals and, and the extremists you being so against um, anything that was like Obama. And now it's sort of taking another ebb and flow and, and maybe just as you were saying that, you know, it's not so much about where we are now but where we're going to be in the future, that this is helping usher in another level to us. Um I think it's going to be tough for a while, obviously because of what we've seen at the Capitol. And and I guess really let's let's take that advantage of that sort of transition there and and start talking about the Capitol. And I guess I, I guess as I I am very interested with you having the uh, attorney background and, and some of the terminology that was used when they talked about the protesters, then becoming rioters, then becoming whatever, whatever they're called now sedationists or not sedation, but seditionists um, insurrectionists uh, you know, uh, trying to have a military coup. And, and I got to admit, when I first saw what was limited out there for the video that was being shown, um, you know, I, I, I downplayed it in my own head, not because I was giving them a break. You know, I was just completely outraged. The things that I saw with what they were doing to the American flag and holding up the Trump flag and, and how in the heck did they get a scaffolding that was out in front of Mitch McConnell's, um, you know, office to bang into that. But then today, I saw the footage of the violence that they were able to capture. And I just wonder if they were waiting to release some of this because then they've been tracking a lot of these, these hooligans down. Uh, But the violence that they did to these Capitol police and dragging them down stairs and beating them. And this, this guy using an American flag to repeatedly strike this Capitol policeman. And we, of course we know That one of them was bludgeoned to death with a fire uh, extinguisher. And we see other scenes of fire extinguishers being thrown. So anyway, um, what do you feel like is the proper... I'll finally get to my point. (laughs) Thank you for bearing with me. What do you feel like is the proper terminology for what you saw um, based on what facts you know of uh, what we can say is insurrection or rebellion or whatever. Where where would you go with that?
1: My favorite word is the word. The word. Isn't it a beautiful word when you think of it? It just covers everything. Word.
2: (laughs) I know words. I have the best words. Words matter a lot. And I got the point
1: across. Absolutely. They were insurrectionists. I mean, but, but I think the important point that we can't lose sight of is that the whole idea of what white supremacy means and how that all works. You see, the whole idea of uh, the policing authorities not being prepared is an, an indication of wh- how white privilege works. Because just this past summer, when you had a peaceful march of the Black Lives Matter movement, the National Guard was in front of all of these monuments. But because it was considered to be safe, quote unquote, white folks, they were totally unprepared for the insurrection that they thought that people of color were going to have. And that's and it's interesting because that that goes into our history. It really does go into our history of even the policing authorities. So when you when you hear someone say, "Well, defund the police," it seems like a a, 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 a ridiculous thing on its face. But what 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 that movement is basically saying is that we keep going around the. A- is in terms of how policing is done in the United States. But until we strip it all away and start over, we're going to continue to have police killings of African-Americans. You're going to have, you're going to continue to have police not being ready for the white terrorists, which is the real problem. The FBI has put out bulletin after bulletin that white extremists are the, are the, uh, uh, the most dangerous terrorists. Ingrown problem that we have, more, more important uh, to To our, our safety than everything that's going on in terms of the Middle East. And so all of that comes from from how white supremacy has been used. and so we need to go back to, to the very to the very beginning. Uh, just a, a, a quick note to show you that this is not just a conservative thing. You see, it would be e- it would be easy for us to say, well, you know, those uh, those bigoted conservatives. No, this is a this is a thing that is ingrained upon us throughout the the, the scale of of, of of political philosophy. Uh, I wrote an article while I was at West Virginia University. One of the few articles that I submitted uh, to university relations because I normally did not allow them to deal with my stuff. But we were going to put something out in conjunction with. Uh, with um uh some of the the things that had happened and i put a phrase in there in in the column that uh, uh dealing with uh racism or uh, slavery america's original sin and of all the things that i said in there when it came back to me they had taken that phrase out well until we realized that our real challenge in america is the original sin of racism and racism has played itself out in, in slavery and discrimination, then it, it keeps us from finding who the real culprits against democracy really are. Uh, people of color have been the most loyal, the most dedicated members of our society, even during slavery. But yet, yet the way that the policing authorities have been used, the way, even even up to now, I think that what we saw last Wednesday was an indication uh, of how of how we don't we we don't call evil by its right name. We don't call insurrection by its right name. It took it took them two or three days to stop calling them protesters. These weren't protesters. These were armed rebellion. And to be quite frank, it could have been much much worse. Oh yeah, nothing you, could,
0: yeah. You you heard about pipe bombs. You you heard about. Yeah. um You know that they had so, some of them had a couple what plastic handcuffs that you know so and they were heading towards the you know the the off the um, this, you know, the you know where, yeah, where the speakers were and so thing. what were they thinking about doing with that if they could really break in well, were they well, going to well. put pence and handcuffs and, well, and hold just, a gun no, to his no, head no,
1: and, well not just pence and well it's yeah interesting. Because uh, the reason that I say that it was insurrection, because they were trying to overturn at a critical point in our democracy, right. which is a peaceful transfer of power. Uh, Trump had them all riled up, but they were willing to go in and take their favorite son and hang him,
3: mm-hmm. because
1: as, if they were as they marched in, they were saying, "Hang Pence, hang Pence."
0: Were they really, really? I didn't hear that. So they, yeah. So That's they amazing. So,
1: so, so they not only were going to hang one of their own who didn't do what they wanted to do, I have no doubt that they would have gotten Pelosi. And to be quite frank, they probably would have gotten quite a few of the members, the black members of the Black Caucus. Oh, sure. And there would, there, there would have been bloodshed. We are we, um, underestimating of white terrorism led to that. And I believe it was nothing but the grace of God to keep somebody from coming in there with a machine gun. Or coming in there and setting off a pipe bomb, uh, and that's that's why I, I won't let this go. I mean, this this needs to be, and and even 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 the way that they got the people out, there is a um, there is a there is a police term. I think it's called fencing. And the way that you deal with a riot situation is that once you have bought people in, then you surround them with with a strong police force. And you arrest everybody. They didn't do that. They let everybody go, basically. And now we're trying to piece together. And the, the interesting thing to me is that by trying to piece together, you're piecing together probably the least valid. These are the people that are running around doing video lives and taking pictures of themselves. But the real dedicated anarchists are the people that, that they, they won't have any film of. And they're still out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know how much they um, were able to detain the whole groups. And I, I would love to see more commentary. I don't care what side it's from. I mean, it's going to more than likely have to come from the left media um, because I've, I've, I did watch some Fox News, and they, they were quickly spouting, uh, you know, counter conspiracy of this is actually. You know, um, yeah. Antifa, and you know this, yeah. and, and, they, and they, they, had that, uh, they had, they yeah. showed that yeah. that video of a guy smashing the window, and then sort of an unidentified woman screaming, "It's Antifa! It's Antifa!" You know. Anyway, I, 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 I really wish, and somehow we could get, you know, it, it's and, and there's a lot of intelligence going into it. I think they arrested maybe a hundred people, ish. Yeah. You know, but that's but that, considering that, there were a couple that's, thousand. That's, you know. Yeah,
1: let's park there. Let's park there a minute, though. Yeah, because you said what they could have done. Well, part of the problem was is that they were calling for the national guard, right? And 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 and, and they were being refused, yeah. to come in. Uh, the the governor of Maryland said he was ready to send his troops in, but he has to be invited. No one would invite him. Correct. Let me tell you why that's important.
0: Secretary of Defense we, didn't take his call. That's, Let me that's tell you what why was that's, that's important. Yeah,
1: because if they if they had done they policing in, in the way that you deal with riot situations. You would have sent in overwhelming force. You would have surrounded the Capitol and you would have arrested anybody that was in, in there. Right. But they didn't do it. And that's yeah. how our, our presumption of, 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 privilege works, works against us.
0: Yeah. I think I, I really, at some point, I hope you get the chance to listen to the, the podcast just before yours. And where we interviewed Darlene Price, who is a former federal agent and has, you know, written her book about her experiences and and trouble with the government letting her down and what she Mm -hmm. had done in some of her cases. And she really broke down, um, you know, what she has done before and being on riot task forces and and what she had seen in the holes and and those, um, you know, preparation for things. And, And I think it's obvious that just like you said, I mean, there there just wasn't really any presence um, around these buildings, monuments, whatever you want to call them. And you even heard, you know, I, I don't know how much you watched of Trump's speech prior to it. But, yeah, well, you know, you, you, you saw him um, actually asking the security forces for the people there to let them in closer to him. Right. And, and I just want to talk about sort of the, just briefly, the uh, how... I know he was just continuing to spread these false allegations about fraud in the election and, and pumping everybody up with that. But you know, the first five minutes or so, all he did was show his true face of how he wanted this to be for him and how there were so many people there that were, you know, uh, to support him and how he loved the fact that they were there for him. I mean, it couldn't have been more telling. Um, I think that if it could have, He just simply, you know, is the one of the world's biggest egomaniacs, and um, it just it just comes through, and it's still, just like you said, it kind of blows my mind that folks still accept it.
1: If you read Mary Trump's book, uh, and I mean, he this is this was this to anybody who was watching this is not surprising to be quite frank and, and this was this was his last ditch effort because you have a person that had at every turn told us what he was going to do he kept talking about that he wanted to be president for life in his words he kept talking about all of these different, di- different ways that he was going to have a third term because uh, they impeached him during the first term so uh, he wasn't kidding I mean, you know, and as Maya Angelou once said, when somebody tells you who they are, who they are you should believe them the first time. So, so, so what we saw on Wednesday was the culmination and the last ditch effort, because as you, as you know, he had tried everything. He had tried to go to the courts, kicked out over 50 times. He had tried to control Republican officials in Wisconsin and in, in Georgia. And they they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't do it. He tried to take it to the Supreme Court. They wouldn't hear it. And so after doing all this, this was his his last thing. Because if you read if you read closely, he had tried to 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 have a, a Pence exercise a power that he did not have. And to his credit, Pence didn't. I don't want to give him too much credit for doing what he was supposed to do, but he did what he was supposed to do. And so. The whole idea of of when he didn't do it, then he sent those guys in there to get Pence and to overthrow the government of the United States. And to be quite frank, uh, not only should he have been impeached, he should walk out of the White House literally in handcuffs.
0: It'll be interesting to see how that plays out afterwards. And, of course, you know, I saw some of the House um, hearing, let's say, or their their, vote vote. And, uh, you know, and, and I was, I I just can't believe I'm so gullible, but I was still so surprised to hear, um, the few people in the house and maybe more than just a few who kept talking about, they wanted this bipartisan resolution, you know, to, to be done, to look into the fact that this should never, ever happen again, completely ignoring the details of the fear of this person. I mean, I think that's really what's going on here. He needs to be held accountable for what he did this time. And I think the fear that he's still in power and what what can he possibly do now if he still has the power and, and really the phrase, you know, it as well as I do is, is, is as old as both of us are. He still has his finger on the button.
3: Well,
0: you know, and that's that's he that's does. the scary thing.
1: Well, and to be quite frank, it is as dangerous as anything else that we have the military who's who has basically assured us that if he were to give that uh, order that they would not follow it which is insurrection in, in and of itself you see you, that, that's not the way you do it because see, and and my, my real problem right now is that we're about we almost have trump behind us but what happens after the dumb trump if we have a smart trump and we need to we need to take a look at all of our assumptions all of our assumptions about the electoral college all of our assumptions about the inability to indict a sitting president all of our assumptions about uh, about the, how the 25th amendment works all of that needs to truly be looked at because again we 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 dodged the bullet with dumb trump but i would suggest to you that there's an image to him coming that is going to be a smart trump and we aren't going to be prepared for it.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Let me say one thing, and I know as we wind down. No, it's okay. Uh, I,
0: I still got a couple more questions for you, if you have time for things, and I want Bradley to be okay. able to uh, play the audio. So, yeah, go for okay. it.
1: Well, one of the one of my one of my real concerns and fears is that is the evangelical church in America. Uh, Martin says that you can't have great disappointment with also having great love. And I have a great love for the church. I'm a person of the church. Uh, but the white evangelical church has really shown what happens when we allow the radicalization of any uh, religious organization. And so the same people who had all these problems with the ra- ra- radicalization of of, of of Islam, now we have seen the rag- radicalization of Uh, far-right Christianity, and I don't even want to say far-right Christianity, to be quite frank, I'm just going to say white evangelicalism and what that means uh, and some of the things that we need to do. In 1954, there was the Johnson Amendment that was passed. And the Johnson Amendment basically said in order for churches to keep their tax-exempt status, that they could not be involved with partisan politics. I think we need to get back to the Johnson Amendment. And what that means that that if these churches are going to be political actors, then they don't need to also have tax exemption status. I think that's very important.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, can you, I I have my own image of what this is uh, with my uh, background in the church and, but can you define the difference between a white evangelical church and then other churches that would have white parishioners. Um, what, what is the difference in, in the definition of that? Is it the way that they worship? Is
1: it is, what, no. what,
0: what, how do we it's, how do we define that?
1: It's really hard. Normally, evangelicalism is the is the the people who believe first of all in a born again experience. Uh, the people who take Bible literally, to be quite frank. Uh, it is an outgrowth of fundamentalism, and there's always been that, that fundamentalism, liberal uh, clash, uh, but now that we have seen, uh, it, because it used to be in terms of white evangelicalism, there was a difference between, you know, the, the mainline Baptist churches and the Pentecostal churches, but those lines of demarcation have been been dropped Um, And so and so I I truly believe when you're talking about it, you're talking about those those churches who who take Matthew 28 into all the world uh, to make disciples after myself, who take that as a calling card Uh that the the, the whole work, the whole idea of evangelical comes from the word, as you know, evangelizing. Right. And so under the guise of evangelizing, they believe that they have to change people who are unlike themselves.
0: Okay. And unlike
1: themselves, whether that's uh, Muslims, whether that are, whether that is other Christians. And, and I, I was on another podcast today and, and I, and we got into this, this conversation. I believe that what has really crystallized across denominational lines is the fallacy of the pro-life movement mm-hmm. and I call it a fallacy because I truly don't believe that they're pro-life. Uh, they're pro-birth uh, but they aren't pro-life. So the same people who are pro-birth calling themselves pro-life they have not they have no problem with uh, capital punishment. They have no problem with taking uh, children away from their their parents at the southern border. Uh, they have no problem with black men being killed by policing authorities. They have no problem with the president trying to rush through uh, executions before the end of his term. Those are that all of that would be pro-life. They have no problem with that. The only th- problem that they have and they have been they have been 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 uh, uh, directed toward this act is to be anti-abortion. Uh, and many of them believe that you can't be a Christian and be for pro-life. They equate pro-life with being pro-abortion. And I think that is a that is a major conversation that we that we need to have in terms of pushing back on the radicalization of the white evangelical church.
0: Yeah, and and I really wish um, you know because I know in in my discussions with my parents about what they believed and what I felt like I believe through confirmation process and and um I would hope that within that population of those people um that are white evangelicals that there are some people who have doubts about the um the efforts and the things that you've talked about. Um you know, I, I think there are at least some I know personally who have expressed to me that they've heard this argument that um, they have disingenuous um, uh, beliefs when it comes to being pro-life. And I I think at least in those particular people's cases, they had gone down the same line that you had gone down in um, saying, though, that they were not for all those things, um, that they they believed that people shouldn't be kids shouldn't be ripped from their parents and caged. They believed, you know, all the way down the process. So I think that somewhere in there, I think there's still some hope that there are people within that particular congregation in certain places that are open to these dialogues. And um, that's just at least in, in one particular case. That's what I've I've heard um, it is, I, I grew up though with my dad, never, never cursed, um, uh, never swore ever in the house. But if we came home from church and there was a, what we would call a televangelist on television, um, my dad would just get so angry. You know, he couldn't be in the room. We, I think we'd watch it because that was the thing we'd see before Star Trek came on or something like that after church. Mm-hmm. But boy, if there was anything that was gonna get my dad angry it was to see the televangelists and he never went into details about that, but that's certainly uh, you know, an impression that was left on me and when I was growing up and, um, well, I, I, I like getting that perspective from you. I think it's very important that in this pursuit of this type of podcast and these conversations that I have, that we have this perspective. Um, you know, it's, you know, I think within trying to think honestly, within the the hundred people that I have, there might be three African Americans at the most uh, mm-hmm. that are that are in my Facebook group, and these are people that I've known for quite a while, and and greatly greatly respect their opinions. But my gosh, I wish I had more, and and you know, it, it's so that these these conversations could be more widespread, and topics like this could be brought up. And, and again, I'm very, very thankful that you have been able to give me your time to do this. And I'm not wrapping up so much, but I want to go ahead and play. Um, You've mentioned uh, Dr. Martin Luther King a couple times. Uh, I'm going to play Bradley's audio. Um, I think you're going to hear most of this. I'm going to get up here next to the mic. I'll do this a little differently when I edit it, but I want to make sure that you're able to hear this.
2: Hello, Pastor Fryson. This is Bradley Roberts, co-host. And due to the technological li- limitations of the way we're recording, uh, I was just going to leave, leave a couple questions on here. Uh, I've checked out some of your, your writings and uh, some other some videos of the transition of power that happened in 2016. How does that differ, differ from the situation we're in now? Are there any similarities in your eyes that uh, we can use to compare what happened then and what happened now? And I'm a big... Uh, i'm a big i guess student of history i I enjoy especially the uh, counterculture of the 1960s and the civil rights movement uh and during that time there was a lot of uh, a lot of civil debate between martin luther king jr and malcolm x even though they had very differing opinions what do you what do you believe how do we get back to that place are we too far gone to get back there or do we ha- are we able to have civil conversation nowadays and it's just the media pushes uh, the negativity to the forefront to get views, I guess. Um, I'd like your opinion on that as well. Uh, thank you so much for doing the show, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say.
1: Okay. Well, to be quite frank, and uh, thanks for the question. To be quite frank, anytime somebody asks me what do we have to do to get back there, I always think I don't want to go back anywhere. Because to be quite frank, we need to be going forward, right? Maybe, uh, maybe the question
0: would. is to bring it forward, you know, yeah. instead instead of go back yeah. to it. But I think that's yeah. what he means.
1: If you if you look at and there was a lot to unpack there. If you look at the dialogue between Martin Luther King and uh, and and Malcolm X, um, if you look to see what happened in in the aftermath, uh, uh, James the theologian uh, theologian. Uh, James Cohn has written a wonderful book about uh, uh Malcolm and 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 martin uh, James Cohn uh, wrote a book called uh Malcolm and martin dreamer nightmare and basically he uh, comes up with the proposition that by the end of martin Luther King's life he had come around to believe much of what Malcolm believed Tell- terms of the destitution of, of white society in terms of what we need to do in terms of building our own communities. And so, and so I, I think we, we, we figures of the past that they were dealing with contemporary issues and contemporary problems. And I would like to suggest to you that if you go even farther back, Uh, There was a gentleman who started what we know of is of Black History Month. His name is Dr. Carter G. Woodson. He was the second African-American to graduate from Harvard after W.B. Du Bois. Hmm. And he wrote a book uh, in the 40s. He was from West Virginia, by the way. He wrote a book in the 40s called The Miseducation of the Negro." And in that book, he talks about what we need to do to make sure that that we have our minds in the right place. Because the thing about white supremacy is black people have bought into it many times as much as as, as white people have. And so I think that there has to be this this new normal uh, that we set up. Going forward, I think that we have uh, providentially, I believe that we have been shown the destitution of white privilege and white supremacy and where that leads. Uh, white supremacy will cut down anything in its path. so much so that the person who is, from a Christian perspective, has given moral undergirding uh, to the whole Trump administration when he didn't do what they wanted him to do, they marched in to hang him. And to me, that just shows the destitution of that whole uh, movement. It's all, it's, it's very little about God and it's very much about the power. And so I, I really do think that these conversations that we're having are important. Uh, I, you mentioned the fact that you just have a couple of, of, of listeners of color. I think that we need to have more cross-cultural dialogue. We need to hear hard truths. Uh, I think one of the things that we have had over the last 20 or 30 years, and I saw this coming uh, with, with with the the daily uh, uh, approach of, of Rush Limbaugh, I saw it happening. I I watched people uh, turning not from liberal to conservative, but from open minded to close minded. Mm-hmm. See, I don't, care yeah. where, I don't care where you are on the spectrum. If you're open minded, then you can have your belief. But when you start closing your mind off, that's when it's dangerous. And so now we 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 have now we are we have re, we have sown to the wind, and now we're reaping the whirlwind of Rush Limbaugh and Fox News, and that now that's not enough. Now you have QAnon, and now you have a, a, a Newsmax, and and it's just getting worse and worse. And when you look at the bottom of it all, it is propping up what we consider to be white supremacy or white privilege.
0: Yeah, for for a brief moment there when the Atlantic article came out about Trump calling the military losers and suckers. And, and it, you know, the Jeff Goldberg had printed that, um, article and then it was corroborated by Jennifer Goodwin of Fox for a brief moment there. I, i I just couldn't believe, and, and I'm not a big Fox news watcher, but you know, she was, you know, completely dead on, uh, serious about what she had heard and corroborated. And she was not going to back down from the pressure, you know, of Trump calling her to be fired and saying that, you know, saying, (laughs) uh, you know, I watch too many movies, but there's, there's a movie called quick change that Bill Murray does, where he just is is this outrageous person. He's calling people animals they're just animals. They're being so bad. And that's what Trump was saying. It's like, what kind of animal, whatever called soldiers that I love soldiers. Nobody loves soldiers more than me, you know, the way he goes through things. And, you know, for a brief moment there, I thought maybe Fox is going to go, you know, a good route. And, but of course there were people within Fox who denounced her reporting. There were others who did, uh, side along with it. And, you know, the moment after the, the, the riots there and the, uh, the insurrection at the Capitol, Um, You know, I'm watching Fox and the the Lou Dobbs report is on and it is just an immediate whitewash of of the the events that took place and the the retelling and edited audio and and all the things. And, and, you know, and and I would imagine many people fell for that um, because of whatever reason, you know, that they have strayed so far from this. There is, I hope I can get him at some point, there is a bioethics uh, professor in Massachusetts. His name is D.N. Ho, and I've been in touch with him about his uh, philosophical articles and his ethical articles about what it takes for people to move away from the truth. And, you know, we, we, his, I think his, his article pointed out that there is some part where everybody starts that there, there is a, a truth that can be known. But then we tend to weave these sort of webs as we get away from it to take us back to this convoluted version of the truth. And uh, I'd really like to uh, get his input on again, uh, what, what the mind has done. And, and I think with you, I'm, I'm getting an input on what the soul is doing.
1: Yeah. Um, well, it's- but it's it, it's interesting because it's easier to see uh, a process when you aren't invested in it. So just go back to see all of the conversations and the articles about the radicalization of the Muslim community, mm-hmm. and then apply that to the Christian community. <laughs> Correct. Because right. if you try to immediately apply it to the Christian community, all of the fences come up.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: my thing is just re- just re- read all you can about the uh, uh, the Muslim community and how how we were talking about that they had been radicalized and how religion had de- and then after after going down that route, then look at the similarities between what is going on in the Christian community right. and that's a real wake up call. Right, right. Well, final, just- my, my final thing. My final thing is yeah, that I, I, I implore everyone to read what I consider to be one of the greatest documents of the 20th century. And that's Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. That should be required reading because this was, this was Martin Luther King in a southern jail writing to the religionists, to the, to the Christians, conservatives and liberals, about uh, who they are, uh, what they have been, and what they need to be letter from a birmingham jail. Mm-hmm. I hate I
0: hate to admit I know I've read that and I don't remember it. And that yes, that's is, that I, I will I will certainly make that some required reading for me. That's for sure.
1: Well, I've enjoyed talking to you for this this last hour and twenty minutes or so. Well, thank and, you. Uh, you also would be glad to come back again. Good, uh, good. Sometime in the future. Do you have any other questions? You think? I did I think you said he may may your your partner may have had two questions? Was that the only? Well, one? He,
0: he, he we've already covered the other one. I think he talked about what I had posted on the Facebook site was. You in 2016, you discussing the transition of power and how yeah. at West Virginia University you guys are going to be open to um, everybody's opinions and and making th- that be a safe place um, right. as as we embrace the the new um, you know presidential uh, let's just say the new president and and, and right. trying to work together and, and really it was a very pro American statement and i think it's at this point we we've covered in detail you know what what happened with this difference of of power and the changeover and and realistically you know there was never a single time during all this that trump ever said he was going to um you know have a peaceful turnover of power he he would never say it It, people around him would never say it and and Ah. why that didn't just make i i think it probably once again emboldened his base yes. uh, that's all i can think it did and you know the, the proud boy stand back and stand ready i mean he he, right. was, he continued to send messages yeah. you know da- dating as far back as i i can kill somebody i can tell you guys to go kill somebody for me and i'm gonna get away with it
1: yeah. and, and, my, and, and my question to the tody perkins uh to the uh to the uh um Uh, to the to the evangelical council uh, my question to you is when why did you not stand up for the truth in the midst of all that because they were the greatest block of his supporters and could have moderated his behavior so i i really count some of the worst things that he did i put it at the feet of the evangelical church because they stood silent as he did things that they knew were not right Correct. And they, they did it. And they did it because of this idea of, well, two things uh, abortion and same sex marriage. But with that, we'll talk again, my friend. All right. Well, take care of yourself. Keep, keep up the work. God bless you. All right.
0: Bye. All right, David. That's awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Good night. Goodbye. one other uh, listener who called in and I want to let us play that we've already heard from this gentleman before that would be Pat and I'm going to play his audio in just a second
3: hey Rob it's Pat it's Pat um hope all's well with you and Brad and um, I just listened to your and Darlene's most recent podcast and It was excellent. Just flat out excellent. Um, I think her perspective is needed. Um, And I think she's exceptionally knowledgeable. I mean, you know, you know I have a law degree, but I haven't really used it in 30 years. So, but what she said is spot on. And she would know because she's in a courtroom a hell of a lot more than I ever was. So, Anyway, um, I just want to let you know, I listened, appreciated it was worth my time and keep up the good work, my friend. Thanks Rob. And you too, Brad, I don't know you as well as I do Rob. So sorry about that. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.
0: Okay. Well, thank you, Pat, for giving us that call. We, we do appreciate the encouragement and, um, And and it really helps anybody else out there who, um, has the ability to just, uh, drop us a line, let us know how an episode went, what you think that would be great. Um, there might be some comments people would have after, um, David gave us such a powerful interview and that's perfectly fine. Uh, we'll do our best to play those comments and, uh, we'll go on from there. So, uh, once again, um, thank you so much for listening uh, to the truth or politics podcast. And, uh, let's see if I can do that number by heart. The number is six, six, two, three, seven, four, zero, seven, seven, eight, six, six, two, three, seven, four, zero, seven, seven, eight. I'm going to leave us with one of my little sign offs that I do. And that is, um, that, uh, as, for, as far as we are concerned with the truth or politics podcast, there are two sides to every story. There is your side of the story. There is their side of the story. And somewhere in the middle lies the truth.
1: I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never.
3: These allegations are false.
0: Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got.
3: I'm not going to continue
2: trying to respond to these re- repetitions of the falsehoods that have already been stated here. Read my lips. No
0: new
3: taxes. Our politics seems more vulnerable to conspiracy theories and outright fabrication. We
2: choose
1: truth over
2: facts. Some of the most dishonest people
1: in media are the so-called fact checkers. We will keep this promise to the American people. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor, period. Period. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan, period.
3: Just totally distorting everything possible.